0: Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. So as we set out uh, into 2019, I believe that the Lord is saying to us to be attentive, to be attentive to Him, to have ears that are increasingly being tuned to hear the voice of Jesus. That is to have this sensitivity to hearing, but not just a sensitivity to hearing, but to hearing and responding to Jesus in our whole of life, in every part of our life where Jesus walks with us. The idea is that Jesus' heart is that we grow in a deepening relationship with him. him. We experience him the more... And we know him the more, day by day. Nick uh, mentioned last week that one of the primary ways that Jesus speaks to us is through the Scriptures. And and so over these coming weeks, we're going to be listening to Jesus' voice in the seven letters to his seven churches in the book of Revelation. Of course, the book begins with John being captured by this image of Jesus standing in the midst of seven golden lampstands. And these golden lampstands represent the seven churches of Asia Minor in modern-day Turkey. And uh, you might see on the screen there shortly uh, where those churches are. But from the middle of the lampstands, Jesus dictates... Good to see that Jesus dictates seven letters to these seven churches. And the number seven in the book of Revelation is the number of completeness, fullness, wholeness. And the seven messages uh, could well embody every major issue the church has and will struggle with, not only in this age, but in every age and in every cultural setting. And of course, those seven churches were real, they were historic congregations They were located on the postal run uh, In uh, Asia Minor And they were kind of along the coast line there And you'll see there, okay So there's the coast, Ephesus is on the coast And uh, if you go north to Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea and back around So those churches are around about 40 kilometres apart Between 40 and 100 Kilometres apart. And they're kind of pretty much on what we would call today the postal run. And um, Jesus is addressing each one of those churches with that, bearing in mind that number seven. And of course, each of the churches, uh, each of the letters finish with these incredible words. And if we could feel God's heart, Jesus' heart, in these words today. Um, It would be fantastic Jesus finishes when he says Whoever has ears Let them hear What the spirit says To the churches He wants us to hear These things are important to us To our lives And John at the time was writing He was in his mid 80s It's About the year AD 96 When he was writing It was during the reign of the Roman Emperor, Emperor Domitian um, and there was Paul there was John, sorry, imprisoned on Patmos. Now he was there, imprisoned, a horrible place to be imprisoned. He was imprisoned there because he refused to bow the knee to the emperor as God. And so he was banished to that island. He refused to be married in his hearts to anyone, first and foremost other than God himself. And so he paid the price. And uh, we read uh, of this letter in Revelation uh, chapter 2. Bear in mind, this has been dictated to John by Jesus himself. Let's read the text. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. And walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. That you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. And have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name. And have not grown weary. Yet... I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. We need to be careful sometimes when we read scriptures And understand that these words have been translated into English. And so, you know, words like, I hold this against you. We need to be careful what Jesus means when he says things like that. He has this against them um, and so on. But uh, let's just bear that in mind as we go through here. But the letter is addressed to the Ephesians, but it's not just for the Ephesians. You notice whoever has it, what the Spirit says to the church is... So it's for Ephesians, but it has application for the church through every age and uh, for the other churches that were there present at the time. And the emphasis here is the witness of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So God speaks freshly through his word, through this letter, to us today, as he has done through the ages and will do until the end. And so our hearts Need to be attentive to what God is saying. You see, Ephesus was the most influential of the seven churches. And it's important, I think, for us to just have some appreciation of that city where Ephesus was. Um, it was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire at the time. Rome, Alexandria, Antioch, Ephesus. Ephesus in terms of size, about 220-odd thousand people, apparently, uh, in the city at the time of this letter. And Ephesus was a great and opulent city. We would say today that it's a world-class city, and it was, it was a world-class city. Major financial center, not only for Asia Minor, but for the entire world, Roman world at the time. It was a seaport, So strategically located, had a lot going for at Ephesus. It was wealthy, although there was a lot of poor people in Ephesus at the time. It was a lot of wealthy people. It was a cultured city, but it was corrupt, deeply corrupt city, where the um, Greco-Roman life was displayed in all its earthly and worldly brilliance in Ephesus. And Ephesus was the home of the worship of the fertility goddess Artemis. And they worshiped Artemis from the depths of their being. And and Artemis is a massive temple, uh, huge. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. They also were very much into emperor worship in Ephesus. So they got a lot of money from other places, from Rome and from the Roman Empire, because they bowed the knee. To the emperor as God And one of the streets um, Sue and I visited Ephesus Probably six or seven years ago now they one of the streets A lot of um, archaeological work has been done in Ephesus And if you go down the street You see at the end of the street there Various buildings on the side There's this massive library And that's uh, Celsus The Celsus Library uh, Which um, was great in its day And the city was great in its day And uh, there was a public meeting place I think it's on the next slide Uh, There weren't toilets actually in the homes So everyone came out There were big, big areas And uh, they came out And uh, when they were doing their business That was the opportunity to also have conversations So they'd sit there and they would converse These are big, big areas And uh, you can see John Nichols there having a good look Is John here? John travelled with us But there he is, he's checking it all out these are amazing uh, buildings, actually, because that was the only place to go. And um, if you move on to the next screen, you'll see that um, the city just had this massive amphitheatre, huge amphitheatre, um, 24,000, 25,000 people. There's Sue there, that's our team. And if you go to the next slide, you'll see the amphitheatre looking back from the port. It's just huge. And they've... Amazing excavation work's been done there, that amphitheatre. But um, you'll also find at the port, if you go down to the port, you'll find that there's a taxi service. It's the Virgin Mary taxi service. And uh, so you can grab a cab, And because the city's sort of a bit away from the coast now. A few things have happened in that time. But uh, Mary, it's Mary's, Mary's burial place in Ephesus. It's where she was buried. But the church in Ephesus, is good to know, and we know a lot about the church in Ephesus because of Acts. Acts um, chapter 18 through to 20, it was planted by Paul and it was nurtured by Priscilla and Aquila. And Apollos turned up, as you know. But the church was just an incredible beneficiary of Paul's visits. They had a number of visits there. And of course, they're the beneficiary of his letter to the Ephesians, which he wrote and which is known and has been known ever since as the master book on church life. Uh, an amazing book is the book of Ephesians. And Paul, Paul recognised the strategic significance of that city to the world, that so this city was a beacon, an opportunity for the gospel to go out, not only there, but out through Asia Minor and into the world. Paul recognised that. That's why he spent three years there teaching a significant amount of time, didn't ordinarily do. But if you go to uh, just the next slide there, you'll see the gates of Augustus, which is just actually not far from the library. There's Sue standing out the front of those gates, and there's Denise too on the right-hand side in the red. But if you go through those gates, you come into this big market square, and this is where all the trading happened. And you remember there was a riot in Ephesus, and we read about it in Acts, where Demetrius, the, the silversmith, He worked up this riot because they were making these uh, idols to Artemis. And uh, when the people were turning to Christ, they weren't buying these things anymore. And so their businesses were floundering. And so there was this riot that happened. And Paul was forced out of the city through that riot. And they went to the amphitheater to try and deal with the problem, which is actually just as you come out through those gates around to the left is the amphitheater. And that's where they all gathered to deal with this big issue Because he was worried not just about the business But he was worried about what Artemis was going to do to the city He was going to be upset With all that was going on With this Christian influence And um, so Paul Forced out and guess who became Their pastor Timothy So what a blessing uh, Timothy. Of course Paul wrote two letters to Timothy But Timothy was killed by the Romans And after Timothy John the Apostle was appointed the pastor of the church. And he wrote from there the fourth gospel, the gospel of John. And he was the pastor there for many years until he was extradited to Patmos. They didn't kill him, they sent him to prison. And so there he was. So by the time that John was arrested, 30 years probably, maybe a little bit more after Paul, uh, there on Patmos you know, that the church at Ephesus had become the centre of Christianity in the world. Such was the church in Ephesus. What a, what a church. It was just an incredible history, wonderful pedigree of pastors and members uh, in that church. Not to forget that Mary was there, because wherever John went, Mary went. Do you remember the cross? And Jesus said to John, look after Mary. And he did. So she was a long-time member there in the church, also at Ephesus. But let's just have a look at what Jesus had to say about this great and influential church in this magnificent city. Jesus loved the church at Ephesus. He said he identified himself as the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. And uh, he, we were told earlier what that means, that he holds every messenger to his church in his right hand. And he deals with them. So this is a big thing. If anyone stands and preaches before God's people, it's a big thing. God holds every messenger in his right hand. But in those days too, seven stars, when you looked up seven stars, seven was complete. He holds the complete cosmos in his right hand. Not just the messengers, but the whole cosmos is what Jesus is saying here To the church in Ephesus. And he describes the condition of this well known strategic church. He begins by saying, with great love and encouragement, he says, I know your deeds, I know your hard work. See, they were working hard for the kingdom. They really were. They were diligent and they were paying the cost of discipleship with their lives in Ephesus. Jesus says, I know your perseverance. And that word there is a word that emphasises heart attitude of long suffering and patient endurance of hardship. That's the idea behind what Jesus is saying there. See, they were hard pressed, all right, from the emperor and from the Roman authorities to worship the emperor as God. And they did not bow the knee. They were refusing also to participate in the worship of Artemis. the the fertility goddess, goddess of the countryside, and so on. Uh, They refused. So they accepted the consequences, which were difficult. They lost friends. You understand that? Harsh treatment from civil authorities, very harsh treatment, and the structure of their businesses and their earning capacity in the city. They were ostracized. Jesus says, I know you cannot tolerate wicked people, that is the pretenders. You've tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them false. And Jesus goes on to say, you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. See, the Nicolaitans believed that grace was of the type, you didn't need any law. You could do what you like, you're free. So whatever goes, goes. Do it. You're fine. You're free. Grace has set you free. No need to worry about the law anymore. See, the theology and the teaching at Ephesus was faithful to God's word and faithful to God. So they didn't allow it in the church. And so those people uh, obviously found it difficult to exist in the midst of the people. But God also said this, you have persevered and endured hardship for my name, and have not grown weary. Wow. Not grown weary. What compliments the Lord is bestowing upon this church. Glowing words of affirmation. See, everyone would think, what a great church. You know, the type of church that, you know, experts would flock to from all over the world to find out, how do you run a successful church? We better run to Ephesus. Ephesus. To find out, like some people today might run to Willow Creek Or they might run to, you know, Presbyterian um, The Redeemer Presbyterian New York Or they might run to even here uh, uh, um, uh, What's it called? Hillsong Or to London, Holy Trinity Brompton You know, run to see how do we do this Because, you know, at Ephesus We must appreciate that Christ was central at Ephesus. They were on the move with all kinds of ministries and programs. Their members, all of them were actively engaged in kingdom work. You know, they were committed to a purity of life and a purity of doctrine. You know, there was no compromise in matters of morality. They guarded against the intrusion of unholy things and unholy ideas. You know, they had members past and present You know, like I mentioned, Paul and John and Mary and Timothy and Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos, and it goes on. What on earth could be wrong with a church like this? Well, the Lord looks, he sees, he knows. He looks with a loving and caring heart and with a piercing eye, and he says this, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first, meaning you've left your first love. See, Jesus discovered a great flaw in the church, a significant flaw, a flaw that was a deal breaker to the church. They'd left their first love. See, Jesus sees the real condition of the church and he's saying in the midst of all your hard work, All your patience and your good teaching and practice, you are no longer in love with me. Affection and intimacy has all but gone. You're flawed at your very center, Ephesus. You have forsaken that which is the most important, that which is the most significant and needful your personal, intimate, love relationship with me, the source and the substance of your life. That's where you draw your life from. So what is this first love that Jesus is talking about? Well, it's actually about marital love. It's about marriage. Right through the scriptures... Our relationship with God is likened to a relationship between a bride and a groom. marriage. See, in the Old Testament, God speaks of, of having taken Israel as his bride. We need to not think sexuality here. We need to think of life's source. what gives us the power to live? This is Jesus saying, this is God in the Old Testament. He pledged his love to her, called her into a love relationship with him. Yet Israel flirted with other lovers, the gods of the people around them, with those other gods. Yet Israel kept going through the dutiful forms of worship and of life the dutiful forms of devotion to the Lord, but their hearts were far from him. They didn't love him anymore. They had left their first love. They weren't in love with God. And Israel joined herself spiritually and emotionally, and this is the marriage that we're talking about. Israel joined herself spiritually and emotionally with these other gods. Israel drew her satisfaction from these other gods as her primary allegiance, primary satisfaction. And over and over and over again in the Scriptures, we hear God calling Israel back to a love relationship. In Jeremiah, um, for their sakes, and in Jeremiah, God says, I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me and followed me. What fault did you find in me that you strayed so far from me? Do you see that? You see God's heart there? And in the New Testament we see the same bridegroom analogy. We see You see we we are Jesus' bride. We need to think of true marriage eternal marriage not earthly marriage at this point but we are Jesus' bride we are married to him we are married to him made and redeemed for intimacy with him to know him to know him to know who he is to know his heart And see the whole book of Revelation leads and talks about the marriage feast to the Lamb And those that are invited to this great marriage feast, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19, the great love feast. You know, and Paul in his letters to the Ephesians, his letter to the Ephesians in the Scriptures, he was talking about the mystery of marriage. Do you remember in Ephesians? He's actually talking about the mystery of love. See, marriage is the mystery of love. And Paul talking to the church there at Ephesus. Husbands, love your wives. And he talks about how husbands and wives should love one another. And he says, I'm not talking about... But, but I'm actually talking about Christ and the church. Do you remember that? The love that Christ has for the church. See, our human marriages point... And they're so crucial, human marriage in the earth is absolutely crucial because human marriage points to the marriage, the everlasting marriage that we as Christ's bride will have with God himself, which is the great marriage. And of course, Paul was concerned for the Corinthians in the same way. And he wrote to them and he said, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the snake's cunning, your minds have somehow been led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. This is what had happened. But the church in Ephesus, the most influential church in Asia Minor and probably the world, had fallen out of pure and simple devotion, out of intimacy, out of affection with the Lord. Have you? Has that happened to you? See, the same thing can happen in our human marriages where we can, we can leave our first love And simply exist together In a marriage relationship See I remember when I first met Sue And I remember And you you're better do this too Go back and remember First love That first love experience See we just loved to be together We were attentive to one another We wanted to be together See, we wanted to be together whenever it was possible. We were both working, we were both studying at the time. But boy, did we manage to change our kind of programs and schedules and commitments so that we made sure that we spent a lot of time together because we loved one another and we wanted to see one another and we wanted to please one another. So we did whatever it took to please the other person. And uh, about six months before Sue and I were married, she was off on some trip to Egypt and to Ghana. And uh, so we were apart for those six months. And I didn't think I had it in me to write a love letter. But boy, did I write. The love flowed off my pen like I never dreamt it would. Very first time in my life. It was amazing. And uh, praise God, there was a response of love with love. That's what it's all about. Love needs to respond to love. And uh, so that was happening, which is just fantastic. So we were married, and we were fully devoted to one another. See, and I also remember when I first met Jesus, that first love experience with Jesus. And I remember his love. His love overwhelmed me. His love overwhelmed my heart, and I surrendered my whole being to him. Because of his great love for me And I wanted to be together with him I wanted, I, wanted to, I wanted to reassess all of my And I did, I reassessed all of my priorities at that time And I can remember going through each one of them And there was a number of priorities there That I thought maybe they're not the right priorities anymore So I reassessed all of those priorities And I just longed to know him more and, to, and, and I prayed, I remember praying with great expectation. And I loved the scriptures. I loved discovering more of him. I loved the word preached. No matter how long the sermon was, I loved it. Because I was in love with Christ. And I'd go anywhere to hear the word preached, in fact, in those days. And uh, such was the first love that I had. I couldn't sing for nuts, but for the first time in my life... I sang for joy. I hadn't sung before. I had my mouth closed. You know, so God opens you up. And uh, so I sung for joy. And I looked for older men of faith who could speak into my life. Help me on this journey, which I knew was a good journey. And I wanted to discover Jesus in every part of my life. Professional life, home life, leisure Every relationship, I wanted to discover Jesus and what he had for me in all of those relationships. You see, this is first love. See, first love is fresh. First love is alive. First love is life-changing. First love is life-giving. And you know about it. It's first and it's foremost. That's the thing about first love. It takes precedence over everything else, Jesus says to the church at Ephesus, I hold this against you, you have forsaken, you have abandoned your first love and you hear them saying but Lord, but Lord look what we're going through we're working hard for you goodness me, we're fighting the truth on every front we're getting persecuted, there's hardships everywhere, we're doing it all for your name Lord and the Lord says yes I know I know but you have left your first love you have lost the attentiveness and left the intimacy of first love your primary love your most needful love this thing that is the most wonderful thing in all your life you've left it how does that happen? it happens it happens how does it happen? Well, if we're not careful, it can happen quietly and gradually through small and often imperceptible shifts in focus. A slow but subtle shift in lifestyle, for example. Or a shift in priorities. You know, there can be good things. And I'm saying very, very good things that can gradually get out of order and erode first love. We all know about it. No one's immune to it. And this erosion of first love can happen both in our marriages and in our relationship with Jesus. We need to be careful. See, in marriage, in marriages, you know, things like the challenges of work and career can begin to dominate time and headspace. I've been there. You know, caring for children can become all-consuming, good things. Financial struggles can create anxiety and desire for material possessions and financial security. See, desire for position or social standing. Now other loves, really good ones, like the footy or the cricket or hobbies, can get easily get out of order and they can become idols in your life. Other personal relationships can take precedent. Spending less and less time together for all sorts of reasons which may seem valid, a deterioration in the quality of communication, unresolved issues and differences that kind of sit beneath the surface, a lack of forgiveness, you know, and a critical spirit, a stubbornness that refuses, absolutely refuses, to do anything other than what it wants to do. Sad. But that list can go on and on and on. And these issues also apply to your relationship with the Lord. Same things can happen in your relationship with the Lord. And the things in the church, if any of you have been around for long enough, you'll know about this. In the church can also contribute to a forsaking of first love. We need to be so careful. Things like disagreements over doctrine, for goodness sake. Things like... um, you know disagreements over, you know, service format and style and songs and all of these things. You know, being works-driven and not and getting caught up in works and not being who we are as people. You know, getting hurt by other people. We're going to get hurt by other people. It just happens, sadly, and we carry hurt and bitterness, which affects our first love. Legalism and judgmentalism. Goodness me that creeps in and it's deathly, it's ugly, it's horrible. Criticism. But see, when the church disappoints, we so often blame God. Which is sad. But all of these things are sad because they're destructive and they rob us from first love. So what do we do if we've left our first love? Well, our primary... Now, because first love is our primary, primary life-giving relationship. And so Jesus says this, Consider how far you have fallen. This is the biggest fall that we could ever have. To fall out of love with Jesus. Consider that. Are you in love with him? And then consider how great a fall this is. And then Jesus says, repent. That is, turn Return to your first love. And that sometimes involves changing habits and diaries and commitments and so on to do that well. And then he says, do the things you did at first. So there's this redoing. Go back. Like in marriages, we go back and we do the things that we did at first. You know, we date. We go out together. We spend time together. We listen to one another. We understand one another's love language. And so we enter into that first love again. The same thing applies in relationship with the Lord. We go back to that first love and do those things we did at first. Rekindle the flame that's in us. See, Paul said to the Ephesians, he said, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Now that can flow off our tongue and used in all sorts of ways. This is deep and meaningful. This is the mystery of marriage. This is the mystery of love. And this is how healthy relationships can speak of this intimacy with God that we don't know exists, the depth of it, of love with God. But Jesus is calling us back. He always calls us back to flame, to fan the flame And I wonder if you can hear him saying to you this morning, you know, things like, you used to listen to my voice. You know, you used to take time with me to seek my face and to keep company with me. You used to read my word. You used to not complicate my scriptures. You used to weep for those who don't yet know you. You used to realize that you could not make life work out on your own. See, the reality is nothing will satisfy you or me, but God himself and his love for us. It's his love for us that will satisfy us, you and me. And so Jesus is calling us to do whatever it takes to restore first love. And out of this love to live. So out of love that we live. There's no other way for us to live, but out of love. And and therefore we love one another. You can't love God without loving one another. Love God. First commandment. Second flows out of that. Love God. And Jesus then speaks a warning. He says, If you do not return to your first love, your lampstand will be removed from its place. Have you known marriages that seem fine? But suddenly there's a separation. And you wonder how that happened. I've seen many of them. And sadly you hear that there has been no love for years. Nothing but a shell of a relationship. Makes me weep. No love. See, many churches are mere shells of their former selves. See, when a lampstand is removed... There is no light, there is no spark, there is no flame, there's no warmth. So you can have all the appearances but have no light. And this is the important thing to know. No love, no light, no church. No love, no church. And Jesus says, without first love, you have nothing. See, without first love, services become lifeless, doctrine becomes narrow minded kind of legalism, and endurance just becomes joylessness. See, in the hatred of the Nicolaitans, becomes hatred of the Nicolaitans themselves. Do you see that? We're not lovers. We're not lovers. But where there is genuine love for Jesus, there is light. And there is life. It's the only way we have light and life, when there's genuine love for Jesus. See, Jesus makes this wonderful promise to those who hear his voice and responds. He says, he will grant the right to eat from the tree of life. See, the tree of life represents the goodness of the life. The Lord of life longs to share with you. So the life that he longs to share with you. And you see, the tree of life is Jesus himself. We discover that in the scriptures. And his promise to first lovers is more of himself and more of life itself. It's his promise. See, without love, we have nothing. Nothing. We're dead without life. You know, Paul, when speaking about love, said, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, I but do not have love, I am nothing, says Paul. See, and some of us men, me included, we need to be careful because we can kind of hear that word love and think of love and think it's a bit sloppy and a bit soft. Well, there's no greater or more powerful thing in the world than love. God is love. See, to love God and then others is to fulfill the whole law. God is love, the Almighty One, the Almighty God is love. He's not weak. Nothing will dethrone him because he is pure, unbounded love. He first loved us that we might love him and live. I don't know this morning whether you can hear Jesus' heart's desire for us, for you, when he says, whoever has ears. There's a great plead here from Jesus. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says. You see, Jesus is calling us to return to him. Whether that be individually or even as a church, Jesus is saying, return to me, the one who first loved us, he's speaking. That the first love might be about love, responding to love. See, for those that love him, they respond. And so love becomes love responding to love. See, he's calling you and I into the great dance of life of life, of love, of intimacy. See, if you hear his voice, another scripture, it says, do not harden your heart, but respond to love with love. See, that's how love flows. See, love is the rhythm of life that Jesus has called us into. And I invite you this morning to respond to him. It's a personal response. It's entirely up to you. But, there's, but I believe that Jesus is speaking to us and would love us to respond to him. Just ask the music team to come forward and they'll lead you in prayer. But respond in whatever way you feel appropriate, the way that the Lord has spoken. Then respond to him. He loves you with a deep love. And uh, so let's take this opportunity. We can respond in prayer and we can respond in song. But just perhaps if we all stand, maybe that's good to start. And I'll lead you in prayer. And if this prayer is something that you would like to pray, join into that. But in your hearts, respond in whatever way you think appropriate. Oh, Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you for your word to us today. Lord, and we respond to your word of love. Lord, we turn to you. Lord, we turn to you, ask for forgiveness. We turn to you, Lord, and we look full into your wonderful face. We say, Lord, I love you. I love you. I love you with all of my mind but not just my mind I love you with all of my heart with all of my soul with all of my strength you're good you are the very source of life and love thank you Lord for revealing your heart to us, revealing yourself to us Lord you are here in the midst of us Lord, like that lampstand of old, in the midst of your church, you stand and you move around the lampstand with great love and care for your people, your bride. And we come to you, Lord, as the bride of Christ, declaring our love for you. You are the one that we give our whole beings to, We worship you from the depths of our hearts. Your love, your grace, your mercy, your goodness, Lord, is all that we need. And so we pour our hearts out to you this morning, knowing, Lord, that you will fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord.